I'm so excited to be here with you today. I was here, I don't know, it seemed like ages ago, my husband and I came on a Friday night and uh, was able to speak here at a praise and worship night. And you know what I love about coming to this church? Is it reminds me of the little church I grew up at 108th and, uh, and 132. Little Lighthouse Baptist Church, it was this big. And I learned how to play the piano there and I taught children's church there. And in fact, it was in that little church when I was 13 years old that I look back and recognize God's anointing on my life. My dad was preaching in the big church and I had all the kids in the children's church and I literally, I was 13 years old and I didn't know what I was gonna do. I had probably 25 kids and I thought, I'm just gonna teach them the whole Bible. So I did. I remember being up on chairs. I remember sweating. I was like so into all the, I don't know, I taught them through Noah. We ended up in Daniel and the lion's den. And then we managed to get ourselves into the New Testament and we fed the 5,000. I don't know what I did. I don't even know what I preached on Revelation or if I even got there. What I do know is in that moment, I recognized that God had given me a love for his word and, and a love to share it. And so I am excited to be here with you this morning and to open up the word of God and to share with you a little bit about this series that you're going through on the meaning of life. Jesus and the meaning of life is where we're headed today. And we're going to look at this rich young man and we're going to find out what really matters in this world. But before we get there, we're going to have a little fun. You know, when you were uh, a teenager, you'd do those, you know, you'd be around the campfire, or you'd be in somebody's rec room in the basement watching TV and eating popcorn, and you'd do the would you rather. Would you rather? So I got a few would you rathers for you this morning. Would you rather go skydiving or spelunking? I know, you're like, spelunking, what is that? Did she make that word up? I didn't. It's like when you go cave, you go cave diving. You go like, you go exploring in caves or something like that. Would you rather go whitewater rafting or mountain climbing? Whitewater rafting is so much fun. Would you rather have more time or money? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Time is good, but... What if you have a lot of time and there's no money to spend? I mean, that could be bad. I don't know. Would you rather be Batman or Spider-Man? Would you rather be stuck on a broken ski lift or in a broken elevator? Would you always like to say everything on your mind or never speak again? You can imagine what my answer would be to that one. Would you rather be a kid your whole life or an adult your whole life. What I do know is nobody'd say I'd rather be in middle school for the rest of my life. Those were like the worst years for all of us. Nobody's going back there. Would you rather be stuck on an island alone or with someone who talks incessantly? Now, my husband is here this morning and he cannot answer that question. It might be, it might put his marriage in jeopardy because you can about imagine that I have a ton of words that need to get out. And I've been married to the man for 30 years and I plan to be married to him, Lord willing, for 30 more if he can put up with me. But anyway, all of these would you rather questions lead us to the passage that we are going to look at this morning. And before we get there, I just want to take a moment with you to acknowledge that the Lord is in this place today. 
we say we're going to pray, and yes, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to be with us, but can we just in this moment recognize he was here before you got here this morning, and he will be here long after you leave. He is in this place. He has a plan for Port Kells Church that if you knew it from beginning to end, it would blow your mind. And so as we come into his presence this morning in this place, and as we open up the word of God, the word of God that is powerful to change and move you, let us acknowledge that he's here. So Father, I just thank you that in this moment, in this place, you are with us. You are above us and behind us and below us and beside us, in front of us. You are here. You are here and it is by your Holy Spirit that we open up your word this morning and we see what it is that you want to say to us out of your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is active and that it will tear us apart and glue us back together. It is the place where we learn of our need of you. So Jesus, in this place this morning, as we read your word, I pray that you would bless it, that you would have it just penetrate into the deepest part of our being and change us to be more fashioned in the likeness of you. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So in our passage today, we meet a young man who unwittingly walked into a would-you-rather conversation, and he found himself face-to-face -face with the question of what to do with his life. He was confronted with what really matters. And we see his story starting in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And we read there. And as he was setting out on his journey, and this is speaking of Jesus setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Like, I get a point for this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. You know, we read this account, and our first thought is, why did he ask the question and then walk away? And we're remiss to view ourselves through the lens of this rich young man because we think that we would have made a better would-you-rather choice. And in reality, what we have to recognize here is that all this young man wanted to do was make a good impression because he thought that he already had it all figured out. And in this passage, Mark records that this young man made an impressive and passionate plea and yet we watch as Jesus does not invite him to get on the bus without first qualifying his motivation for why he wanted to get on that bus in the first place. And when the qualification for admission was presented, this young man backed up and he made a dash for the door. He was gone. 
This would-you-rather choice was a stumper for him. He'd never been confronted with the possibility that giving up and walking away from everything that he gave him worth was the key for him to find the true meaning of life. Didn't get it. This would-you-rather moment with Jesus was intended to give this rich young man an opportunity to get clarity on what it meant to truly live. You know, when you and I grapple with what it really is to understand what's true about ourselves, what really makes us tick, it should lead us to ask this interesting question. And the question is, am I behaving like what I really want? Am I behaving? Am I doing the stuff that's going to get me what I really want? Which, of course, then begs the question, what is it that I really want? You see, in the interactions that Jesus had with people, he always aimed at the heart of the issue. He was continually interested in leading people on a path of self-discovery that would ultimately lead them to a deeper understanding of themselves and their real need, their need of him, our need of Jesus. And the continual struggle in our humanity is that we have such a difficult time owning our neediness. Like you think about it, the word needy just sounds pitiful, doesn't it? I'm needy. I mean, in our culture now, it's like, oh, you know what? That person, they're just needy. There's like a Klingon, like just, you know, that's what we think about when we think about needy. We sang about being needy this morning. And King David, who was a man after God's own heart, a king that is heralded in the scripture for his authenticity and his vulnerability and his great leadership, says this in Psalm chapter 70, verse 5. He says, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. This thing of being needy, of understanding your need of Jesus, is what this young man needed to grapple with. You know, we read this verse and we immediately know that it's true of everybody else, right? Of everybody. Oh, yeah, she's so, oh, you should see what's going on in her life. Needy doesn't even begin to describe it. That's what we think in our minds. And this young man, this rich young man, thought he wanted to know how to attain eternal life. But when he was confronted with his internal value system, he couldn't wrap his head around the truth, the idea that his stuff was not enough. His stuff was not enough. And in our passage, he asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know the whole story. We've just read through this. And so we look at this question with a Google Earth view, and we know that he's asking this question because according to himself, he's already got it all figured out. And he's got all his ducks in a row. I mean, he had done all the right stuff. He paid his taxes, eaten dinner with his parents every Sunday night. He had not even run over his cat. Now, I can't say the same, but that's a story for another day. He was still dating his high school sweetheart, and he hadn't thought about another girl since. He had not even taken an extra packet of sugar from Starbucks when he got his coffee in the morning. I mean, this guy was pure gold, and he knew it. And it was his goal in life to make sure that everybody else knew it. 
And Jesus just looked at him and he spoke right into the content of the guy's issues. And he said, sell your BMW and your yacht and your Rolex and give the money to those who are poor and hungry and follow me, follow me. Because young man, you will have all you want and more when you are with me in eternity. You see, Jesus just nailed the real issue. This was not about a car. It was not about a boat or a watch. This was about what he valued most. The social media image he projected was far more valuable to him than having an authentic relationship with Jesus. He thought the meaning of life was procured through a carefully constructed persona. Our passage says that he went away disheartened, which means sad feeling or showing sorrow. The Greek word also has the connotation of grief. Grief can mean deep sorrow. And in our English language, it can also be translated as annoyance. So go with me here for a moment. This is about the times when your sadness is about being annoyed because you didn't get the answer you were looking for, the result that you expected. And I'm going to tell you right now, we try to spin it like we're sad, but inside we're just downright annoyed. But putting our sad on is a whole lot more socially acceptable than putting our annoyed on. Are you with me? Oh, that's just so terrible. I know I'm just so sad about that. And inside you're like, that's what's going on with our young man here. We try to spin things like we're sad, but inside we're just downright annoyed, downright annoyed. And this young man's response, it's very different from mortified, ashamed, sorry, or determined to make a change. He's just annoyed that things are not going the way he thought they should. We all get sad. We all feel bad about our behavior when we're shown a mirror. But does it change the way that we behave? Remember our question, am I behaving like what I really want? I want to invite you this morning to look at three behavior shifts that we're called to grapple with in the scripture. We're going to gain some context on this dialogue that we see between Jesus and this young man by looking at a conversation that Jesus has with another group of people in John chapter 8. Now, what I want you to remember here as we do this, we're going from Mark to John, but what I want you to remember is that in the context of Jesus' three three years of ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were three gentlemen who traveled around with him. They were like on a three-year tour. They were on a three-year camping trip with no breaks. They were just all over the place. They ate together. They did ministry together. They hung out together. These guys saw jaw-dropping things happen for three years. And in that period of time, as they saw all of these things happen, these four gentlemen were commissioned by the Holy Spirit to, to, to write about what they knew and what they had seen Jesus do. So when we talk about these people that we're going to look at in John 8, they were people that were probably hanging around when John chapter 7 we're going to look at, and John chapter 10 happened, Mark chapter 10 happened. There was this group of religious people that followed Jesus around because they wanted to know what was going on with Jesus. And so we're going to look at the things that they were struggling with because they're a reflection of our struggles. 
So what we see here is Jesus explaining this behavior shift number one that we're going to look at to the Jewish people who believed in him. These are people who are really opposing him. They believe in him. And here I want us to grapple with our behavior shift number one that I've entitled who I am, who I am, understanding who I am. And here in John 8, verse 31, we start, it says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they were looking at him, shaking their heads. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly. Now, anytime we see Jesus say truly, truly, when the writers actually put this into the text, we need to stop and look at it because it's obviously something truly, truly that's important to us. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, speaking of Jesus, capital S there, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen of my father and you do what you have heard of your father. And here's where it gets really awkward. Jesus explains who their father is. Remember, who do they think their father is? Father Abraham. You remember the old Sunday school song he used to sing? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Stand up, sit down, turn around, do a high five. Remember that song? You should just be grateful right now that I didn't add a tune to it. You all would have went, no, don't ever have her come and do the special music. All right. But that's who they thought that's who they think their father is. And then Jesus, as we skip down to verse 43 in the same passage, Jesus says this, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your, your, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I am quite confident that you could have heard a pin drop in that moment as Jesus said that to them. Because remember, at the beginning of this dialogue that he had with them, he said to them, in chapter 8 here, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the result, the truth will set you free. Now, this did not sit well with them because they said, we have never not been free. Look at our heritage. We come from Abraham. I am here to testify to you this morning that I come from Eric the Red. I am Norwegian through and through. And some of you in this room, maybe you can trace your heritage back to Henry VIII. And my husband, he's a penner, and Eric, uh, he did the announcements here. His last name is Enns. I bet you they can trace their roots all the way back to Menno Simons. Whoop-dee-dang-dong. And then there's Dad Gillis. 
his great long lost relative pastored this church over a hundred years ago. Okay, these people are saying here to Jesus, look who I am, look who I am. I'm related to Abraham and I'm awesome. Now, if you've been through kindergarten any time in the last 25 years, you get this, you know all about this. You got a first place ribbon for everything that you did, even if it was only that you showed up. You were like in first place. You were told you were awesome. That's a whole other conversation. And Jesus is saying to us and to these people here in this passage of scripture, let me help you. Let me help you understand who you are. And let's look at the real issue. You are a slave to sin. That's what he's saying to them. Jesus just looked at these people and said, if you want to do it your way, and I'm telling you that if you have ever sinned in your life, you live as a slave, and a slave does not have the right to stay in the house forever. Eventually, you will have to leave because you do not belong. And it doesn't matter if you are related to Abraham, Mother Teresa, Napoleon Bonaparte, or Dan Gillis. If you do not believe you have a sin issue and that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to save you from your sin issue, there is no hope that you will know true freedom. You cannot buy your freedom with your pedigree. In other words, just because your mother goes to church doesn't mean that you get a get out of hell free card. That is what Jesus is saying to these people and saying to us. You see, the power of full disclosure, understanding who I really am, is that it has the potential to lead you and I to full restoration. And this is the journey that Jesus invited people to go on when he explained the truth to them. He did not come to merely point out the shortcomings of humanity and then to leave us raw and naked and hopeless. And here in John 8, he says, I set you free so that you will be truly free because I speak of what I've seen of my father. And you think because you have a good heritage that you'll be okay. And yet you seek to kill me. You seek to turn your back on the truth because my word finds no place in the equation of your life. In other words, you have placed your hope, your meaning, for life in your reputation. The issue we need to grapple with is found at this intersection where the truth of who I am meets my need for Jesus. This is where we need to live. This is this intersection is the place where we understand our need for forgiveness and we find the meaning of life and we understand that it is found in knowing and belonging to Jesus. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is what will you do with this truth about forgiveness and true meaning? Does it change how you live? This is a tough question because even if you've been a Christian for more of your life than you have not been, we still struggle with placing our trust in Jesus finding our identity in Jesus and understanding that true life, the true meaning of life is found when we live like we belong because we do. This leads us to behavior shift number two. If we look at 
who I am, we now look at what I do. What do I do? In the routine of life, we develop modes of operation, traditions, things that we do that help us manage our behavior in, that, in ways that make us sleep better at night. You know that um, in all the psychobabble stuff that is out there and some of the leadership development stuff that we talk about and that I teach to some of our young and up-and-coming leaders and pastors, we talk about how we are hardwired to tell ourselves a story that generally makes us feel good about the way that we show up in the world. It's just a thing we do. It's a mechanism that's kind of built into us where we, we tell ourselves something that actually makes us feel better about ourselves. So think about this with me for a moment. The last time you got really mad about something, you kind of blew your stack. And, uh, you know, what was the story that you told yourself about why there was steam coming out of your ears? Because usually, generally, we don't go immediately to, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. We generally immediately go to, well, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. We tell ourselves a story that makes us feel better about our behavior. What we really like is a checklist of good behaviors that help us because the need to manage our sin creates this internal conflict that demands this external checklist that makes us feel better about ourselves. And so we love that checklist because it's something that we can control. Here's my list of things I do. And if I do them all, I'm good to go. You know, I've had the most amazing checklist over the years. I remember when my kids were little, they would tell you that I thought it was on the checklist that if you were a boy, you had to part your hair on the side and wear khaki pants to church on Sunday morning because that's basically what they remember me making them do. Nobody else has to wear khaki pants to church on Sunday, Mom. Why are you making us do it? And I think it was on my checklist. I just didn't know it was. But we all have things that are on that list. And Jesus addresses this in this conversation here in John 8 with the religious leaders. Now go with me here. You got to remember that they, these people have already been qualified in this passage of scripture as being really good people. They were wanting, they were on a journey to believe and know who Jesus is. They are trying so hard to keep all the rules. And they were working so hard at this that they actually got strung out because there were people who were hanging out with Jesus who did not wash their hands before they ate. This was a really big deal. Now, we see this unfold in Mark chapter 7. And remember how I said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get all these layers and accounts that are interwoven together. And this is one of these places where we see some of what was confounding these Jewish people and keeping them from placing their trust in Jesus or believing in him. And so here we, in Mark 7, it's noted that they are upset with Jesus because their, his disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate food. Now, we all know washing our hands keeps germs from traveling. We are more aware of this than we've ever been aware of it in our entire lives because of what we've been through in the last three years. And so the question I have this morning, does anybody have hand sanitizer on them this morning? If you do, don't put your hand up. Oh. That's, I saw that. Good for you. But here's what I have. Here's what you need to know. You don't get any extra brownie points in heaven. I'm just clarifying that for you. I'm so sorry that that's the truth, but it's the truth. There's no prize in heaven. 
Uh, but th in this passage, these religious leaders held to the tradition that stated that clean hands were needed in order for them to gain God's approval. Can you imagine that? Now, I know some of you in this room this morning, you are clean freaks. You left your house this morning and it is spotless. It's like nobody lives there. It's like a show home. And then there's some of you in this room this morning who are super relaxed and you left a sink full of dirty dishes and you're kind of hoping that the, dish, the dishes fairy is going to show up and wash all those dishes before you get home and somehow they're going to all be back in the cupboard. And then there's some of you in this room who don't really know what you're doing with that stuff and you're like thinking about switching to paper products because it would just make the whole thing so much easier. But the thing is, wherever you fall in this continuum, it's pretty grim to think that your standing with God could be determined by the state of your hands and your dishes. This is in essence the issue that Jesus is pointing out. These religious leaders were stuck trying to manage their sin by washing their hands. They were following a tradition that made them feel better about themselves. And in real life, we try to do this with the story we spin for ourselves as we desperately try to align our behavior with that checklist that we've got. And it is too hard to maintain for the long haul. I cannot tell you how many things have changed on my checklist over the years. I no longer think you need to wear khaki pants when you're eight years old when you go to church. Like, I've gotten over that. But those are the kinds of things that we try to look at and think, if I just do this, if I just keep this, if I just don't say that, I'll be okay. But the truth is, that's exhausting. And it's not possible because the truth is we have right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for us, because we have leaned into the forgiveness of our sin coming only through Jesus and not ourselves. Paul states it very well for us in Titus chapter 3. He says they're starting in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of your checklist, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is not one thing that you can do to attain eternal life. There is not one thing you can do to have right standing before God. It is done for you by Jesus who loves you and who gave his life for you. Earlier in Mark chapter 7, where we see Jesus having this tussle with these religious leaders about the washing of the hands and, and how, you know, that his disciples weren't doing that. It was a big conundrum for everybody. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah when he's referring to these religious leaders. And this was poked. He says to them there in verse 6, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In their vanity, they appear to give me the number one spot in their life, but in actuality, they have replaced heartfelt devotion with rules about hand sanitizer. 
And Jesus goes on and he says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold the tr to the tradition of men. And later in this passage in Mark, Mark 7, starting in verse 15, he goes on, he says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. Remember, you are a slave to sin. And Jesus repeats this here in this passage in verse 20. And he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, he says, they come from within and they defile a person. This was radical for these people who thought they had it all figured out. They had all their hope, all their faith in what they could manage. And Jesus essentially takes their checklist and he tears it in pieces. He does not gloss over, nor does he shy away from talking about what this sin is. He has this hard conversation with them about the truth that sin defiles us. Why does he not skim over this? This is hard, hard to hear. Because he loves us too much not to confront us with the very thing that will keep us from having relationship with him. You see, Jesus did not die for your sin so that you could stay in it. He died so that you would even have a choice to live despite it. And the choice is ours. It's the ultimate would you rather question. Would you rather trust in your checklist for eternal life? Or would you rather trust in Jesus? And this leads us to our final behavior shift this morning. Who I trust. We look at who I am, what I do, and who I trust. Back in Mark 10... Verse 25 is Jesus' disciples are trying to grapple with this exchange that Jesus had with this rich young man. Jesus says to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples who were even, were even more amazed and they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Who can figure this out? Who can make this happen? And Jesus just looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, with God. You see, this idea of being with God, it requires relationship with God. If you don't have an authentic connection to Jesus, you miss the whole point. You see, an authentic relationship requires that I move from being a slave to sin to being a child of God. And in this dialogue between Jesus and the rich young man, Mark notes in the passage that Jesus looked on him and he loved him. We can't skim over that. Jesus looked on him and he loved him. You see, in your life today, Jesus looks on you 
and he loves you. He loves you more than anyone in this world can love you. And he offers you an inheritance of hope and peace and life with him forever. And this rich young man, he turned away because what Jesus offered him required giving up what he could control and trusting Jesus with what he could not yet see. And the question I have for all of us this morning, me included, is will we be brave enough to be self-aware enough to own the truth of what we value, how we manage, and who we are trusting for our eternal destiny? You see, who, who am I? Who am I? Remember my dad preaching about this? I've said this so many times. You know who I am? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. What do I do? I trust God today that I will live in authenticity, in the reality that I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. I need a dose of Jesus in the morning. I need a dose of Jesus at noon. And I need a dose of Jesus before I go to bed at night. And I need a dose of Jesus all the times in between. I am needy of you, O oh God. And I need you and I want you. And I want you more than I want life itself. And who do I trust, O oh Jesus? May it be you alone that I trust. May I not trust in what I can do. May I not trust in what I own. May I not trust in what I think I can control, but may I take that checklist that I have made for myself that makes me feel better about myself, and may I have the power through the Holy Spirit to rip it in two and trust you alone. Jesus asks us just to come running into his presence Jesus promises to give you and I more than we can even ask or imagine. And he says, will you just give up trying to manage this life on your own? And will you trust me? Will you understand that it's not about your stuff and it's not about your social media image and it's not about what people think of you? It's what I know of you and that I don't want you to be a slave to sin. I want you to be my, my, my child. I want you to belong in the house forever. And I leave you with a thought straight out of the Word of God and straight into your heart this morning that the meaning of life for you and I is found in our life with Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. And if there's a recalibration that you need to do in your heart, I pray you would do it. If you want someone to pray with you, come up and see me. I'll pray with you. But I'll tell you what, this thing of following Jesus, it is not for the faint of heart. But it is life-changing, and it is a life full of purpose, and it's a life of deep and true meaning. And it is a life that can ultimately show somebody else who Jesus is. And maybe that's the piece that's missing for you this morning. You're walking along, and you're just doing your thing. But are you showing somebody else how to do it? by how you're showing up in the world? Have you just gotten rid of the checklist and are you living that authentic life with Jesus that he's called you to live?